of the Survival Podcast. Today is Friday, June, June the 16th, 2023. This is episode 3323 of the Survival Podcast. That means we're just 10 episodes of, of an, 10 episodes away from an episode I'm really going to dig. And it should be not the coming Friday, but the one after that. If I can do math right by 10s, it will be episode 3333. I just noticed that, and I like numeric patterns. Anyway, what are we going to do today? It is Friday, 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 so it is time for an expert counsel Q&A show to end our week as we go into a weekend. I've got the Ron Paul Liberty highlights today. Dr. Paul will talk about how government's actually the worst of all polluters and the worst of all stewards of land ownership. And then ownership needs to be in big air quotes because anything they own, they have stolen. So if you've stolen something, do you truly lay rightful claim to it? Dan McAdams will talk about, uh, why do we keep giving Ukraine money since they attacked NATO? Yeah, like, NATO's our ally that we've agreed to defend if anybody attacks them. Well, of course, when Nordstrom was blown up, everybody said, Putin did it, which made no sense we've covered that. Well, uh... It seems like now maybe Ukraine did it. I, I still think it was U.S. Special Forces along with the CIA. But assuming Ukraine did do it, because now it's like, we don't want to get blamed for this, and uh, people have figured out how stupid this Putin did it thing is. Now the Ukrainians did it, because it's a war, and they have a right to... Okay, wait a minute. That pipeline was feeding natural gas to Germany, who is a legitimate NATO ally, and dare I say it, Germany's why NATO exists. So, what's up with that? Dan McAdams will talk on that. And Chris Rossini will talk about if we really did have a climate crisis, and the government really did try to fix it, if it was all true, we already know what, what government's intervention would do. It would make it worse. How do we know that? Because we look at anything government's ever done and say, what have they touched that they didn't make worse? Yeah, I agree with that. Nicole Sauce, freeze-drying 101, favorites from the freeze-dryer, canning beef, and building on raw land all in a single segment because Nicole really is awesome sauce. Next up, Jeff Lawton. We'll talk about dealing with a, a plant that can be a real pain in the ass, horse nettle. Dr. Ken Berry will talk about lowering, lowering your cholesterol for insurance purposes. What the heck is that about? You will hear, and it's a good thing to know is there in case you ever need it. Nicholas Ferguson will talk about dealing with grass invading your garden. That's also a pain in the ass, I know, because where I live, everything is Bermuda grass. And you know what grows on top of the Bermuda grass? More Bermuda grass. You know what grows up the tree? Bermuda grass. I mean, it's everywhere, and it sends out runners. And so let's see what Tim has to say about it. Until the tool man cook will talk about why you might want to consider natural gas as an option for your generator. And I will answer uh, Tom. Now, this is the Tom. This is the Tom that takes care of all things TSP technical. Make sure the server stays up, keeps us uh, safe from attacks. When something's broken, he fixes it. When I need something to do a thing, it doesn't do. He figures out how to get it done. That Tom, Web Guy Tom. Technical guy Tom, he he asked me a question, and I think this is an interesting thing to explore. Is woke company blowback really just cover for a shitty economy? I will tell you why there is something to that. I think it's both. 
I think it's both. I think it's a thing that's happening, and then we blame the thing that is a part of a decline for the total decline, so we can say, my racism, my white supremacy, my ignorance, yet again. So that's what we got going on today. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is BulkAmmo.com. Look, let me tell you what, what, what the truth about ammo. Everybody says I'm going to buy some more ammo someday. Until there's some kind of shit that goes down with gun control, and that's kind of bouncing around right now. And then all of a sudden it's, I ain't going to go buy ammo now. And then it's like, I can't find any. And then I get like a gazillion emails and they say, Jack, I can't get 9mm, I can't get 45, I can't get whatever it is, right? Right now you can get all the ammo. And you can get it from Bulk Ammo, who's been a sponsor of this show for like seven years, I think. It's somewhere in that range. I know they were prior to Ridge Wallet, and Ridge Wallet just had its five-year anniversary in December of last year. So, yeah, they've been around a while supporting us. They have all the common calibers and some of the not-so-common calibers in bulk, and they will ship it so fast to your door, you'll be like, "What? why is the mail guy here? Why is he knocking on the door? Oh, I ordered my ammo a couple days ago. Here's my ammo. It beats the hell out of going to Walmart and having to deal with somebody that can't figure out which finger to get, pull out of their nose to talk to you and trying to buy ammo there. Trust me, get on over to BulkAmmo.com today. The company supported the show you love for a long time and has all the ammo you need in bulk. Next up today, Nicole Sauce. I'm hammering this one more time for her. This webinar series of hers launches on, uh, I don't know if it's Tuesday or Wednesday, next week. Soon. Maybe it's Thursday. Anyway, it's going to run for seven weeks after that. It's got a lot of great stuff in it. You know, how to get your garden off to a good start right out of the gate. Uh, small livestock. Canning, you know, beginning canning and advanced canning. Cheese making, a bunch of other stuff. This is a $495 course. It's worth every penny because it's running for seven weeks with three expert instructors, Nicole being one of them, and two other great instructors. You're going to love these guys and what they teach you. Two hours each seminar, that's 14 hours of training for 495 bucks. That's worth it. But you know what? You get $200 off with a discount code TSPBACON. There's a link in today's show notes. There's a write-up on the website. This is a good deal. And I said TSPBACON. I didn't tell you to go to your MSB and get the discount code. Because it's for anybody in this audience that wants to take their homesteading to a new level. And if you look at the write-up and you're like, you know what, I really would like to learn how to make cheese. I don't, I've got the rest of this stuff down, or I don't care about canning, or you know, I want to take this to the livestock portion. You can buy one-off tickets to individual uh, courses. But I think when you look at it all together and then you throw that $200 discount on it, you may want to consider kind of getting the full course. I would call this like your first year of homesteading college all in one location. And you know how Nicole is. They're going to make sure... That they help you with the learning beyond just presenting. So, with that, let's go ahead and uh, dig on into it. And real quick, I want to remind you right now before I bring Ron Paul's team on, the TSP 15 year anniversary 15 year anniversary celebration tickets are on sale. It will be at a location called Pinstripes in Fort Worth, 20th of July. There are now eight tickets, no, six tickets left, because another pair just sold this morning. So there's six tickets left. We're, we're, we're still more than a month out. They're all going to sell out. If you think you want to come, it would be a good time to get your tickets now, because they will be gone. I don't think they'll make it through next week. Anyway, and it will be the party of the year with the most awesome people of prepping that you will ever be around. And then, since it's a Thursday, then you can just take Friday off of work 
have a really long weekend that kicks off with one of the coolest groups of people you will ever find yourself around. With that, let us dig on into things with Ron Paul's team. Governments the worst polluters and owners of land. Uh, why are we giving money to a country that attacked our NATO ally? And if climate, was re- climate crisis was real and government really did try to fix it, in all sincerity, wouldn't they just make it worse? There's sort of a big issue going on right now, and it's affected the uh, entire country almost, uh, but especially in the Northeast, and that is there's smoke all over the place, and uh, we're going to try to try to sort all this out. Who caused this smoke? Are they smoking too many cigarettes or <laughs> too much marijuana? Maybe the uh, interpretation of what's going on, they might be smoking something that causes them to come across. <laughs> because it's so simple for those people who think that uh, mankind, uh, civilization causes all these problems and uh, therefore it's up to government to solve them because they're in the business of uh, building up government. That is the goal. But, you know, the first thing I look at when we see problems like this is uh, who owns it? Whose property is it? Who's messing up? Could it have been prevented? Well, there's a lot you can't prevent. Uh, This idea that we, uh, as a people, can control the weather. And the, uh, the radicals say, yes, you can. It's it's all caused by mankind, you know. When you check into it, uh, I found out that uh, a large number of private owners uh, are involved in the forest lands in the United States. Matter of fact, more than half, uh, there's 56%, I believe, is in the hands of private individuals and forestry people. And uh, they have an incentive. I think private ownership is a good way to protect the environment because private owners have something at stake other than political uh, maneuvering and manipulation and demagoguing. But what about Canada? You know, they're, they're, they're causing a little bit of grief for some people if they uh, have mismanaged anything uh, in with Air Force. And I don't know the details of what they do, but I do know that the reports are that uh, the government uh, manages and owns 96 percent of the of the forests in Canada. A lot more. The big thing is, is has there been mismanagement of uh, of the forests in Canada? And since there's more government, my guess would be prob- probably so. Long-term private ownership of land is a much better way to treat land. U.S. warned Ukraine not to attack Nord Stream. CIA pressed Kiev weeks before the explosion sabotaged the natural gas pipeline, bringing Russian gas to Europe. And if we can go to the next one, this is from the article. CIA warned Ukrainian government not to attack the pipelines last summer. Uh, After it obtained detailed information about a Ukrainian plot to discover a main energy connection between Russia and Europe, officials familiar with the exchange said, now this means it's an anonymous source so we have to take that with a grain of salt apparently it happened in june the cia called up kiev and said hey we heard you guys are going to blow up the pipeline don't do it bad idea and then ukraine a couple months later did it anyway um now this contradicts as you suggest dr paul the seymour hirsch article um which uh has been mostly ignored by the mainstream media which is that the u.s government attacked the pipeline itself U.S. military assets attacked the pipeline itself. The question I have with this article is how does it help the U.S., the U.K., the pro-war position to have this as the answer? No, 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 we didn't do it. It was Ukraine that did it. Because if you think about it, 
the U.S. warns Ukraine, don't attack a NATO country. Ukraine says, we're going to do it anyway. So they attack a NATO country. The response of the U.S. to Ukraine attacking NATO, essentially, as such, is, here's some more weapons. Want some money? Here's some more money. And by the way, we'd love to have you in NATO. So you're going to welcome into NATO a country that has already attacked NATO. It absolutely makes no sense if this is the case. So if this Wall Street Journal article is true, then the U.S. is absolutely insane uh, to want this kind of country in NATO. If it's not true, however, and Hirsch is right, it's not any better for the U.S. because it means the U.S. attacked NATO. Yes, we have a new thing. It's Canada fires. And of course, uh, the climate fear mongers are out in full force, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, you never want to let a crisis go to waste. You want to uh, try to get your political uh, points in while you can. You only have a short window to capitalize when emotions are high. And the goal is always the same. Give the biggest government in the history of the world, the biggest welfare state, the biggest overextended empire in the world. Give them more power and more money. And if you don't, well, the, then the world is going to end. No more planet for you. And it's the same thing. We just keep repeating this process. Rinse and repeat. We just went through it with COVID. Do this. Wear this. Uh, stand this far away. Get all these vaccines. It was all nonsense. And But that's what it's like to live under the biggest government in the history of mankind. You're constantly barraged over and over and over, and you got to make it through. you got to be vigilant with your freedom and protect it, because after the smoke clears, pun intended, and the smoke will clear, we're going to be okay. So they really do ruin whatever they interfere with. That's why government is meant to be restrained by the Constitution. But boy, did it break those chains, and now it just runs wild. And you could just go through any list of, look what they did to health care. I mean, it's such a disgrace in this country. It invaded the industry and in league with the corporations and with the so-called agencies, FDA, CDC, you know, they ruined it. Uh, student loans, education, everybody knows how bad government schools are, but look at student loans. They were going to make it uh, more accessible, more affordable. Did the exact opposite, drove up the price and everybody's buried in debt. And now people who didn't take on the debt are expected to pay for it. So we are supposed to think that this organization is going to manage the weather? I mean, what, how? I, I don't even know how you get to that point. Why would you think that they could do such a thing? If there ever really was a climate crisis, you could be sure that government interference would find a way to make it worse. So fortunately, there is no climate crisis outside of all the propaganda that we see. But uh, if government actually did try to do something about it, we'd, we'd uh, end up learning that they only made it worse. So I, I can just take all three of these and sum them up in a conversation that I just had with my wife about this and some other issues that I won't get into today that I became aware of uh, that involves our government and, and, and the governments of, of other major nations that we call friendly democracies to the United States. And... The result of that conversation was simply, how does anybody take this shit seriously anymore? My wife, who's one of, you know, she's not me. She's not like me. She doesn't have my personality. Um, she's a lot softer of a person. She's not as interested in deep analysis of these topics. She's the average normal person. It's part of what I love about her. I don't know if I could deal with being married to a woman who thinks exactly like me. It might be hell. We might kill each other. Uh, 
But so my wife is like, I don't know how anybody takes these people seriously anymore. I don't know how anybody believes anything they say anymore. I don't believe how they have any credibility anymore. If you don't know Dorothy, and some of you do, but if you don't know her, you don't realize how big a deal it is to have someone like her say something like that. And then you have to look around with awe at the number of idiots who will still jump on board with whatever the current thing is. The government... And I'm, when I say the government, I mean the governments of the world have not a leg to stand on of credibility in anything that they do. I absolutely believe that, that Chris's segment at the end is perfect to sum all of it up. If there really was a climate crisis, if we really had only 10 years to act, even though we've only had 10 years to act since 1980-freaking-9. By the way, I was 16 years old in 1989 and I'm 51 in August. All right? We only had 10 years to act when Jack Spirico was 16 years old. He's 51 now. Oh, but we only have 10 years to act. Again, wait a minute. AOC gave us a bonus two years. You see how stupid this is? If it was true, and if the government did everything in its power, and if it sincerely intended to help, it would still make it worse. You know, you got the Trudeau government blaming private landowners for fire, forest fires when they own 96% of the land. This makes me think of a much smaller government. The Tarrant County government, actually it was a Fort Worth city government. Tarrant County government pretty much shuts up and leaves everybody alone. The Fort Worth city government, a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, we had more, right before the droughts started, we had a year of more rain than we've ever seen. We had 30 days of measurable rainfall in May. It was one day without it. Everything exploded with growth. On next door, the Tarrant, or I'm sorry, Fort Worth City government, let's blame the right scumbags, come on and basically do a post, and they asked, they asked their neighbors to brat out their neighbors. Hey, with all this growth and grass and all, there's a lot of people out there that need to mow their grass, and they didn't yet. And they need it now. Anybody in that situation was probably somebody with a problem in their life, and the last thing they needed was a bureaucrat giving them a fine. They, they, what they needed was somebody like a neighbor instead of ratting them out to turn around and say, Hey, hey, do you need some help? Do you need some help? Instead of saying, Hey, go help your neighbor, the government said, Tell us where they are. We'll go give them a ticket. This literally, I believe, caused a change in nextdoor.com policy across the whole country. Within a couple days... The next door people came out and took all the government accounts and made it to where they could post and not allow comments. And not a single government entity since that time that I've seen on my next door, which is several you know areas around here, it's about 3,000 people, uh, government agencies post shit all the time. Not one of them has elected to leave comments on. Because they got their ass ratioed. And if you don't know what ratio means, that means when especially politicians come out and celebrities and say, look at the thing! And everybody's like, you're an idiot. And they get clever with how they call them an idiot. And they point out what an idiot they are. That's being ratioed on Twitter. Well, they got ratioed on Nextdoor. And the Nextdoor people changed it so that the government people could comment, uh, post their bullshit without comment. Why? Because it turns out that I have picked the right place to live, and I have picked a place with some Karens, but the Karens are a vast minority. Probably less than Canada's 4% that own private forests. And they got ratioed because people started reporting places that the grass was overgrown. It was all city property. 
Well, they're like, well, the highway divider down by here is overgrown. It's like three feet tall, and it's blocking the view where you have to make a left in oncoming traffic, and that seems really dangerous to me. Maybe you should go side whoever owns that. It just kept going. It was land next to city buildings. It was They had mowed their own shit. Doesn't that just fit perfectly with this? The, the, the things that government bitches about people doing, it is the worst offender of the same crimes. Right down to theft, they call it tax. With that, let's go on and take our next one. Nicole Sauce with a forfer in a single segment. Only the awesome sauce could pull this off. Howdy, TSP. Nicole Sauce here with a round robin of expert counsel segments. I hit the TSP Telegram group just to see what y'all were wanting to know about. And we're going to cover freeze-drying, canning meat, and what to build first on your homestead. The first question comes from Erica, who just said, freeze-drying 101. And if I'm really going to cover 101 from beginning to end, it would take about an hour. How do I know this? Because I have done a webinar that you can get access to at NicoleSauce.com about freeze-drying 101, I gathered information from one of our own community members, Jake Robinson, and then did a bunch of experimentation myself, had successes, had failures, and put that all together into a what you need to know to get started. I will say this. Freeze-drying from a food preservation standpoint, in my opinion, building it into your life is the last layer to add, not the first layer to add, if you are taking the philosophy of building a pantry where you put, you know, first in, first out and have a rotation of food that you actually use. Freeze dryers preserve food for longer than a year or two, which drying and canning and freezing, those things are all much more accessible and lower barriers to entry and they last a couple of years. So sort of like Sean Mills would recommend you get your battery back up before your solar panels in the system if you had to choose one before the other because it will give you a more immediate payoff and it is more important than just being able to capture the sun. I feel the same way about pantries. Get the low-hanging fruit covered. Get the habit of building that food and supplies savings account before you worry about preserving things for 20 years with a freeze dryer. Now, a freeze dryer is going to run you 25, 35, 4500 bucks to get. There are two primary brands out there to choose from. My personal experience is with Harvest Right, which has worked well for me, but in recent years they have been getting some critical feedback on their customer service. So I would look into that carefully before choosing your brand. That being said, the other brand that's on the market, I have no data on. And, and you know, with a piece of equipment like a freeze dryer, you're looking at something that's more commercial scale, which requires some level of mechanical ability to properly maintain it. If you want to get some hands-on experience before you get hands-on experience, that's not really hands-on, but theoretical, I would recommend joining Betty's Harvest Right Freeze Dryer group on Facebook or MeWe, and then also Retired at 40. There's a YouTube channel for Retired at 40, as well as a group on Facebook and on MeWe. There are a lot of people talking about all of the things they can do with the freeze dryer. Now, this 
math changes if you decide to take your freeze dryer and monetize the products that you're creating. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to sell candy. The key is sell. So if you decide to go down the road of selling freeze dried Skittles in your community, look around at your competition to see how saturated your market already is and then go for it if it makes sense. But realize that you're going to need to be selling it all the time. So work on the story behind your company, work on finding ways to distribute, distribute it, how to properly package it, and then go for it. Because I've seen people pay off their freeze dryer in a year just with candy sales. Personally, I'm on the ketogenic diet and prefer not to have candy in my life as a temptation. So I have used it primarily as an augmentation to my personal pantry. And that brings me to the second question that's from Yozik over on the Telegram group. And he says, your favorite three things to eat after it has been freeze dried. I just got one and I look, I'm looking for things to try. So here's the thing about a freeze dryer. You can freeze dry anything. But some things just don't work. Things high in fat will not do well. It just melts the fat. But there are a lot of people figuring out a lot of ways around things, including you cannot freeze dry peanut butter, except somebody figured out you can dilute it with water and freeze dry it in that case. And it kind of works, although the fats are not freeze drying. So they will get kind of yucky tasting over time. They'll go bad. And that doesn't mean you're going to be growing mold. It means you're going to have a rancid flavor in high fat things over time. So just keep that in mind when you make your freeze drying plans. From my perspective, I've really liked individual ingredients more than just snacking off of the freeze dryer. Although freeze dried fruits and other things like that are delicious. But as I said, I'm a ketogenic eater. So here's what I like. Mushroom powder. So you take mushrooms and you freeze dry them. You turn them into powder and you can use that as a thickening agent for gravy that is not adding carbs. This is a game changer for me from a gravy standpoint because I love gravy. In fact, later today I'm making mushroom thickened gravy from some bone broth I've made from scratch by mixing that, onions, uh, so the bone broth, onions, and the freeze-dried mushrooms in a Vitamix until it's as thick as I want, and then you just heat it. So it's not something where you have to do sort of make a roux and that whole method. The next thing I love to have that's been freeze-dried are spices. The I did a test where I did room temperature dried spices. I used my Excalibur and I used the freeze dryer and I did a, a sort of a blind taste test and I looked at the color. The freeze dried basil and other spices was far superior to the other methods of drying. And because they're freeze dried, they're like extra super dry and they absorb the liquid of whatever you're putting it in in sort of a different way. So you end up with a smoother experience from your spices that are freeze dried. That being said, you need to store them in a way that they're not exposed to air humidity or they will clump. One of my favorite things has been something I learned from my chef friend, which is to take freeze dried garlic that has been not powdered but just sort of you grate the garlic before you go in or put it through a food processor grater, which is how I would do it. Freeze dry it. Put that into a, a salt mill. Like just take the top off a salt mill that you've used with rock salt. And you can use it like a pepper grinder over your food. That is way better than making garlic powder 
And again, you want to have some sort of desiccant in there to help keep it from absorbing any moisture from the air. But that has been a really awesome way to use freeze-dried spices. And then my third thing is not ketogenic at all, and that is one-inch cheesecake cubes end up with sort of a crunchy mouthfeel, and I'm not allowed to have them because they are like Nicole crack. So that's my third thing. I really just love eating off the freezer. Guys, question number three comes from JW. We are going to can ground beef for the first time. My bride is thinking of making it all taco season. Do Do you have any sage advice or hints and kinks to look out for? I have a lot of sage advice on pressure canning things for safety because we do not want to come across our friend botulism in any way, shape, or form, and it's very easy to avoid. So my first piece of advice is follow the canning instructions to a T, and when you take things back out of a jar that's been pressure canned, definitely boil that puppy for five minutes to make sure just in case something got past your safety procedures that if there is any toxin in there, you break it down. That doesn't mean play loose and furious though if with things you know are improperly canned now as far as wanting to spice everything with taco seasoning that's on you man if it was me i would not do that and here's why i like flexibility in flavors and that means if i want to do a hamburger cheese dip i may not want taco seasoning that if i want to do a beef stew with ground beef i may not want taco seasoning in that if i want to use it in a spaghetti sauce i may not want taco seasoning in that if i want to throw it into a scrambled egg thing i may not want to, you see where i'm going with this so personally when i can things unless i need a certain number of things that are just like i'm going to eat this straight from the jar after i have boiled it I tend to not add any spices at all so that I have the flexibility when I'm cooking a meal to put whatever spices I want into the item. I keep a few jars of stews and soups so that if I'm sick, it's real easy to throw it on the stove, reheat it. But in particular with taco meat or beef or chicken, I just can it without spices, and then when I cook with it, because I'm going to have to boil it anyway, right, I throw the spices in when I'm reheating it, and it works out that I am able to cook whatever I want with my canned goods. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking about their canned goods as I can just pop this open and eat out of the jar in an, in an emergency, and that works fine for your higher acid foods. But you really do want to heat them. And if you're going to do that anyway, I think the flexibility is worth way more than being able to have taco meat straight out of the jar. But in your lifestyle, that question may be different. So it's definitely a question you want to answer. I've got my last question from EO Chicken Guy. If building a new homestead on raw land and you live nearby, less than five minutes away, do you build the barn or the house first? Would you expect any other answer than it depends? What are you planning to do with the homestead? How many resources do you need in hand to make that happen? How fast are you able to get your build out done? Do you have a big picture smart homesteading plan? Because when you know what your core major big picture goal are, you know what your strengths and weaknesses are as a family and as a person, when you know what your wants and desires and needs are for your best lifestyle, you can then build out the plan for your homestead and then it becomes clear what you start building first. Because I can see a scenario where get the heck out of your house, sell it, 
put a bunch of money in and have it built out as quickly as possible, live in a camper while you're doing that and get that done. I can also see a scenario where you implement earthworks and take some time getting to know your land before you build your final home. And I could see integrating livestock into that. And then I could see wanting a barn. I think my best piece of advice is find a way to get to that big picture plan. Maybe even bring a consultant in to help you see things that you're not going to see as well because you're emotionally attached. Involve your family in the decision making so everybody's on the same page and then choose from there. You know, the funny thing is when I asked for all of these questions, they just came in one after another right on the Telegram channel, the TSP Telegram channel, and they all related to things that we have given classes on over the last few years. And I wanted to invite you guys to check out a couple of things. First, the smart homesteading webinar that we did a few weeks ago was super popular and it equips people to come up with their big picture homesteading plan. So head over to NicoleSauce.com and consider grabbing that webinar or get it as a free add-on in in the homesteading skill series that we are launching next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central. You can attend live or you can just have access to the recordings, but we're covering seven essential skills that you'll need as a homesteader, starting with how to grow food successfully the first time, raising small livestock, chickens and and rabbits in particular, and then turning that livestock experience into a system through the victory garden approach to raising poultry, where you tap into waste streams to feed your poultry, and then they turn it into compost, and then you can use that compost to grow vegetables. So it's like stacking functions. And then we get into food preservation. So canning 101, which is the water bath method, advanced canning, which is pressure canning. We are also going to do cheese making and curing meats. And part of that first canning course, I'm talking about a lot of different methods of food preservation, like fermentation and freeze drying and those other things that are on your option list. That's all over at NicoleSauce.com. Use Jack's link in the show notes. And there's a coupon code TSP Bacon gets you 200 bucks off that course. Grab it before we launch so you can be at that first class next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central. Guys, go out. Make it a great week. Great stuff from Nicole. I'll, I'll tell you what I like to eat freeze-dried. Asparagus. Asparagus. I, I have kicked around getting a freeze-dryer or not getting a freeze-dryer for a while. And one of the things that excites me is putting in a few beds of asparagus and then freeze-drying asparagus. First time I ate a piece of freeze-dried asparagus, I was like, I kind of think this is the way asparagus should be eaten. Let me be clear what I mean about that. I don't mean freeze-dry the asparagus, pour hot water over it, serve it on a plate next to a steak. I've, I've tried rehydrated asparagus. The taste is there. Unlike a lot of things that you freeze-dry where the texture remains intact, it does not. It does not. But... As a snack, yeah, it's kind of crazy how good it is, and uh, so that's that's kind of my my ideal thing to freeze dry if you've never considered it before. Uh, next up, we have a segment from Jeff Lawton about dealing with a plant we call horse nettle here, and I can't remember what he says, but they call it something different over in Australia, and that we both uh, on both sides of the world have to deal with this thing. 
Hi, Jeff here coming to you from Australia. And I've got a question about what you call so, uh, horse nettle. What we call uh, Sodom's apple in Australia. I know it well. I've got it. It's kind of the flavour of the month in Australia at the moment by the uh, environmentalists. Um, it, it's actually a large weed. It's a kind of woody uh, weed, sort of like eight to ten feet high it can go. Um, it's it's actually a pioneer to forests. It's like wild tobacco. It grows on the edge of the pioneering forest, uh, closes off the airspace. It's a solanaceae. In other words, it's like a deadly nightshade, uh, the same as tomato or eggplant. It's... Um, um, it comes just before you get a lot of pioneer trees and, and the landscape goes into a sort of fast regeneration of forest. Um, it's right on that edge. It's not a problem at all. Um, you've got a large area of it. Um, burning it won't make any difference. You, all you've got to do is, is cut it. If you want to use the area, if you want to use the area, just, just cut it and mulch it and um, keep cutting it. Um, it, when it starts to regenerate, just cut it and plant into it. Plant into the area if you want forest. If you want a garden, just garden right over it. Just cut it. And Actually, if you want a garden, you could just pull it out, increase the fertility in the area with compost, mulch, manures, and and, and, and garden. It, it's a pioneer plant. It, it doesn't grow in really fertile ground. It grows in, in ground that just needs to increase in fertility to start the pioneer forest. It's, it's, a, it's a plant that pigeons perch in, like wild tobacco is. Um, it's on the edge of the forest. Um, you could actually gr- grow pioneer trees right in amongst it. You could grow inside it. You could you could plant into it. Um, it. It's not a plant that completely shades the ground. It allows trees to grow underneath. Uh, people demonise it because uh, um, it it's a bit spiky, but its end tips are quite green. It rots really quick when you cut it and mulch it. Um, I wouldn't get too upset about it at all. Um, you either want that area to go into forest or you want to graze that area. In that case, just cut it off light on the ground and graze the animals over it. It won't come back if they keep grazing and manuring. It won't come back that much. It'll quickly go out. Or you want a garden. What else are you going to do with the land? You're either going gonna, gonna to grow trees, you're going to graze animals, or you're going to grow crops. If you want lawn, which is not what we normally do, but if you want a lawn, you just keep mowing it and it won't come back. Like any plant, if you don't let it grow leaves, it will die. But you either want, if you want forest, you can literally, you know, knock it back a little bit, don't get too worried, and then just plant into it and your fast growing pioneers will shade it out. It won't grow under the shade of forest. It definitely won't grow in the shade. It, it's an, a light demanding edge species clo- closing off the edge of the forest. But, um, if you want to grow crops, then you're going to make the ground too fertile for it to, to work at all. It won't grow in fertile ground. It's that edge species. And if you want to graze it, well, just run over it, cut it, and graze your animals over it. They'll stop it coming. So it, it's, it's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. Easy. Very easy pioneer to deal with. There you go. Um, good to talk about a plant I know really well. <laughs> all right. Next up. This is an interesting segment from Ken Berry. Uh, Ken and I often say, don't worry about your cholesterol levels, you know, unless they're insane or something like that. What the government and what the medical industry says is high, 
It was more about selling cholesterol-lowering medications. In reality, the entire theory is bullshit. However, there can be a problem with this when, let's say, you have a health insurance you're trying to maintain, and they want you to go on drugs because your test is high. Is there anything you can do about that, even temporarily? Turns out you can. With that, Dr. Kenberry. Hey, Jack and the TSB crew. This is Dr. Kenberry coming at you today. I've got a question from Jim that many of you guys might benefit from the answer. Uh, he's, first part of his question is, is, is there any harm in taking a statin drug like Zocor, Lipitor, Crestor? And the answer is absolutely yes. There are many potential harms. Uh, taking a daily statin is going to raise your blood sugar. It's going to lower your testosterone. It's probably going to increase the levels of inappropriate inflammation in your body. Uh, Jim is a retired firefighter, and his medical insurance is rolled into his pension. Now, here's the important part. His insurance company wishes for him to keep cholesterol and LDL levels at what they consider normal numbers. Jim's been moving towards a carnivore diet, and he believes that the cholesterol issues all BS, and I agree with that. But he doesn't want his insurance rates to go up, so what to do? So there's actually a dietary hack that you can do for a few days before you get your blood drawn for your insurance physical. And I've included a web address, and Jack's going to post that with this answer, of how if your insurance is, uh, your rates are going to go up or you're going to lose a job or you're not going to get a two-year CDL license, you can use this hack to temporarily and falsely lower your total cholesterol and your LDL cholesterol just for that lab draw. And then you can go back to eating a proper human diet and, and reaping all the benefits uh, that you are going to glean from eating a proper human diet. So Jack's included the website. You guys check this out if this would help you to have lower insurance rates or to keep your job or keep your two-year card. This is Dr. Barry. Talk to you next time. Short and to the point, and uh, I'll just say there's a reason he didn't go into detail about this on the air. But there is a link in the show notes for today's episode. If you look in the bullet points, uh, as, you, as you go down those bullet points, you'll see Ken's bullet point, lowering cholesterol for insurance purposes, Dr. Ken Berry. And then just on that same line, there's a thing that says link from Ken's segment. That's where you get this information. This would be a good one. Like right now, if you're like, I don't give a shit. You might want to, however you keep track of important online resources, add this to it. I will tell you that it's already in the archives. It's so like on archive.org. It is not in the main internet. Uh, it's kind of disappeared, and you might want to even copy it. I'm just saying. I'll leave it at that. Moving on, Nick Ferguson. Talk about like we just talked with Jeff before Ken's segment about horse nettle. What about just plain old grass invading your garden? What, if anything, can be done? Nick Ferguson here with another expert counsel answer for the listeners, and this time it's on dealing with what Ruth Stout called devil grass. And this one is from Nathan, and he says, Jack, I've got a question for Nick Ferguson. Thanks. Nick, I have a rhizome-type grass that has found its way into my 4x8 raised beds. If I spot-apply glyphosate, will it solve my problem? Background, I think I recall you talking about spot-applying glyphosate with a knit glove soaked in herbicide worn over a rubber glove and touching the leaves of the plant you want dead. Yep. 
in my raised beds, I have some rhizome grass that are invading the bed. That's not a full infestation because I pluck the grass as soon as I see it. When I pluck it out, I generally get about six inches of rhizome going straight down plus the visible grass. I can never dig the rhizome all the way out because I succession plant and pretty much always have things growing in the beds. Will the spot application of glyphosate kill the entire rhizome or will it just kill the top part of the plant and allow the deep underground rhizome to send a new sprout? If it matters, I'm in Spokane, Washington, and the beds are made with 2x12s, so they're 11 inches above the surrounding lawn. Thanks a bunch, Nate. Well, the short answer is no, it won't solve the problem. It will put a poison band-aid on the problem and buy you some time to help deal with the problem. The root issue here, pun always intended, isn't that the grass is getting in the beds. That's just the annoying problem, the one that's irritating you. The real problem is the grass can get in the beds at all. So my suggestion is to take out the grass between the beds, trench around your whole garden bed area, and install an impermeable root barrier to prevent the runner-type grass from getting in your beds ever again. If you go with something like a gravel path, you can use a flame weeder to essentially blanch or barely scorch the weeds and grasses that pop up between the beds. This is going to keep the area hotter, but being that you're in Washington, you probably don't have much of a problem with that. Um, and it will make for simple and toxin-free maintenance, just some heat generated from propane torches, and all the weeds and grasses are dealt with easily. And then, once you have the main problem addressed, which is the grass getting to the bed, once you're dealing with it away from the bed, then you can worry about the critically irritating issue of the grass growing up inside the garden beds. And if it's something like Bermuda grass, you won't be likely to kill it entirely as the herbicide only travels so far through the rhizome before the concentration is low enough to not kill anymore. So yes, the glyphosate will kill it, but the range is limited. And the real issue that I'm trying to, you know, drive to here is, you know, if if it's only have to, you know, if the let's just assume that this is um, Bermuda grass, if it only has to push up a foot into the bed from the lawn that's surrounding it, then it's just it's never going to stop because there's moisture and there's nutrients. It's a great growing condition, and that's where it wants to be. So you have to stop it with some kind of a physical barrier to prevent it from getting up in there, or else you're just going to be constantly killing the grass with poisons, and it's just not smart or economically efficient. So I say deal with the real problem by excluding the grass from the general area. Give yourself a, a you know, a buffer zone where you can effectively get rid of the grass that is growing towards the beds. And then once that's all dealt with, then you can get rid of the grass growing up in the bed with the glyphosate glove trick. And like I always say, I'm not a fan of this stuff. I don't encourage its use. But... Like I always say, I'd much rather see you um, use a tiny bit of glyphosate three times over the summer to eliminate the grass rhizomes um, and have successful gardening experiences. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. Um, 
And then, you know, once you have it either poisoned out of there or you just pull it enough times that nothing else is growing up in there because you dealt with the grass further away from the garden and there's nothing for it to uh, make sugars with because you always pull off the, the rhizomes when they pop up, you'll end up eliminating whatever rhizomes are left over in your garden beds. Um, you can either do that with the manual removal like you have been doing and exhaust the the carbohydrate stores in the roots, or you use glyphosate maybe a, f- a few times over the course of the summer. And uh, and then the only other time that you should be really dealing with it is uh, at the border that you installed. Then you're just keeping it away from the premium growing area with either manual or heat control methods. Hope that helps, and I hope you get your grass problems solved. I'm Nick Ferguson with Homegrown Liberty. Do good things. So the big takeaway I think you should get from Nick's segment here is the technique, not necessarily the method. What I mean is he laid out some examples of what you could do. Now think about the materials you have available, what your preferences are, and then emulate the technique and the method might change as to what you use as an impermeable barrier. As an example. So I think this is an important thing, and I, I kind of wanted to riff on it just a little bit before we go to our next segment, with permaculture as a whole. So you will see a permaculture do a thing, and you'll say, well, I can't do that here because, and because usually results in some form of, but the climate's different, the materials are different, the slope is different, etc. What you need to look at is the pattern of the technique. And then how do I take that pattern, and can, can I figure out how to apply that pattern here? It's a totally different way than humans are accustomed to looking at problems. And it's, believe it or not, it's one of my biggest problems with the modern system of education and just the mindset forced into America. It's, it's what I call, when I talk about cooking, parsley disease or parsley syndrome. And parsley syndrome is, you want to know how to make chicken soup. So I give you a recipe and I give you a, a technique. Those two things are different and they're important. The technique is the order. It's actually made up, like, it's actually a procedure, and the procedure is made up of multiple techniques. Like, don't just throw raw chicken into a pot and start boiling it. Brown it first to develop flavor. It it involves things like once the chicken's able to be pulled, pull it off the bone and maybe put the bone into the broth and cook it without nuking the hell out of the chicken and cook out the bones to extract the collagen and thicken the broth. Cook down the broth, add the chicken back in. And, you know, maybe it's carrots and celery and and some other things. But one of the ingredients is, let's say, a, a couple handfuls of fresh chopped parsley. And you don't have any parsley. So now you can't make the soup. As though you couldn't take the entire technique and say, I'll just omit the parsley. I'll take the tops of the celery... Of the leaves and use them at the end as a fresh herb like the parsley, right? I'll use dried parsley, parsley. I'll use Italian seasoning, right? Like there's all kinds of ways to take the, 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 the recipe, so to say, and the method and the techniques and the procedure and adapt it to what you do have. And we are so quick to go, but I don't have that thing, so I can't do it. Uh, this person is in zone 7, I'm in zone 5, so I can't do it. And just keeps going and going and going. It's a repackaged, modular version of the toolbox fallacy. I will do the thing that I say I really want to do as soon as I get these five other gizmos that allow me to do it when you could have done something today. So start analyzing not just permaculture advice, 
But everything in your life through this lens, I've seen a thing that works. Let me analyze why it worked, how it worked, and what I have where I can emulate it to create a solution for myself, even when it's not even exactly the same problem. Maybe the problem is some other invasive thing getting into your garden that's also coming from the surrounding out area outside the beds, but it's not grass and it's not runners, but it's get what can you do? Does it apply? If it's wind-blown seed, it's a different problem. If it's something that's actually invading with a runner, it's the same problem. Doesn't matter if it's not grass. With that, let's go ahead and hear from Tim the Toolman Cook about why you really might want to consider natural gas as an option with a generator setup. Hey guys, Toolman Tim here, coming back at you from the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. Back with another expert counsel segment for you, so let's dive right in. Today's segment actually comes from a video I did just a little while ago. I get a lot of questions, or maybe I should say negative comments about this topic, and that is natural gas and generators. Let me dive in here, guys. So, first thing... A lot of people buy dual fuel generators, and there are some tri-fuel generators on the market. I have the Furman, that's around 9200 watt tri-fuel generator. A lot of people don't think about natural gas as a viable backup power solution, but I'm telling you guys, more people should absolutely think about this. Now, I did some digging. 61% of U.S. households use natural gas. That means they have a hookup to them. And another 12% have access to natural gas. They just don't use it. That means that 73%, or basically three-quarters of all U.S. homes, have access to natural gas. Why wouldn't you want to use it? Now, in most cases, unless you live in an earthquake-prone area, when the power goes out, the natural gas keeps flowing. I've lived in my town for almost a decade now. We lose power once or twice a year. Never have we lost natural gas. Now, does that mean that it can ha can't happen? No, it doesn't. Natural gas could get shut off. Um, you know, there are times when they dig up lines, expo expose lines. There might be a wildfire. There might be a an earthquake. Those type of things. So then, yeah, here's the thing. I don't think I would ever recommend a natural gas generator all by itself, but most generators you can buy off the shelf from big box stores are going to be dual or tri-fuel, or you're going to upgrade an existing gas generator or propane generator also to natural gas. So here's the thing. It's a great option. It's way better than storing a whole bunch of gas. Now, I store a bunch of 30-pound propane tanks, and I store 12 five-gallon jugs of gasoline that has been stored with fuel stabilizer, but natural gas. Here's the thing. If you already have an outlet on the outside of your home for a barbecue or something like that, you can very quickly tap into that and have a virtual unlimited access to fuel during a power outage. And everybody always says, well, that'll be the first thing they'll turn off in a collapse. Well, we'll have bigger problems if that's the case, but that's why we store multiple types of fuel. All right, let's do some quick calculations here so you, what you need to know about natural gas one cubic foot of volume equals roughly 1000 BTUs so if you have a 250 uh, cubic feet per hour meter that means you can pull 250,000 BTUs through your gas meter at a time 
Now, if you're in Canada, your meter is going to be listed in cubic meters. We don't need to talk about that today. <laughs> so what do you need to figure out first when you are figuring out how much natural gas you need for your generator? You need to look at the appliances in your home. You need to calculate them all up. My instance, my furnace uses 100 cubic feet. My water heater uses 38. My generator at full capacity will use 101. That is a total natural gas appliances in the home to power basically my entire house of 239 cubic feet. Your typical residential gas meters are going to run in the 175 to 275 CFM per hour. Sorry, cubic feet per hour. So you're going to need something in the 250 CF rating. Look on your meter, you're going to see it. You can actually get around 15% more capacity out of your meter than it's labeled for, but not recommended for long periods of time. Next, if you have an outlet out there, you're going to need to size the line that runs off it. You know, you want to be at least 10 feet away from your house. So depending on what your generator requires, you're probably going to need either a half inch or three quarter line running from it. Do yourself a favor, get some brass quick connects, and it's dead simple to hook up. All right, from there, 20 feet out, depending on what your generator is going to need, Half inch pipe will provide about 118 cubic feet or 118,000 BTU. Three quarter inch pipe at 20 feet, just over 247 cubic feet or 247,000 BTU. Now, the last thing I typically get asked about natural gas is, but the fitting on my generator is so small. It looks like a 3 8 flared adapter. Why would I need to run a great big hose to the generator? Here's the deal, guys. Took me a while to learn all about this, but when it gets to, it just needs the flow in order to build the pressure to drive through the nozzle. So you've got a 3 8 fitting, but you need a supply of either half or three quarter inch line behind that, pushing the gas through because natural gas is very low pressure, and then it gets compressed into that 3 8 fitting and then inside into the jet, which is even smaller. So it needs a supply behind it to compress it to give it the right amount of flow. The beauty is no storing nasty gas, no needing to add stabilizer to the gas, no needing to have a generator with gas in it if you have natural gas. Now, always have extra things on hand, but guys, I'm telling you, it is absolutely worth considering natural gas if you have access to it. Don't fall into the old, well, they could shut it off. Well, they could shut off a lot of things, but the absolute dead simpleness and the almost unlimited access to it make natural gas a really good suggestion for a lot of people. So I hope that opens some people's minds, gets you thinking. And guys, if you want to know more about me, run by toolmantim.co or look up Toolman Tim's Workshop on YouTube or add Workshop Radio to your podcast catcher, whatever you use, especially Fountain. Give us a go. Check us out. It's the easiest way to support me and find out what I'm up to. So with that, guys, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week. So I'll, I'll, I'll pitch in on that and say, especially if you have natural gas service to your house, right? You have on-grid gas service to your house, and you want to put a generator in. Uh, using one or all or some of the methods that Tim mentioned, you should probably, when you invest in a generator, invest in one that either is a natural gas generator or is multi-fuel. 100% of the time, all the time, every time, if you have natural gas service to your house. Yeah? 
And this whole idea, but that'll be the first thing they shut off. Shut up. I'm so sick of that crap. The, the type of scenarios that people lay out as excuses are such bullshit. And if they're not bullshit, if they do happen, you have a lot bigger of a fucking problem. Okay? You really do. They. Who the hell are they that are going to shut... Like, that's, this also requires an ignorance to how natural gas works. To think it's as simple as, you know, some dictator governor in your state decides, No one needs no natural gas! Turn it off! Alright, where are you going to get your gasoline in that situation? I can store gasoline. You can store propane, too. They have these great big tanks. I've seen them. I have one. Yes, yes, it's propane. It's slightly different. It still works. Alright, now, moving on. Moving on. Let's talk about the question that Tom asked me by email. The Tom. Web Tom. Technical Tom. And by the way, if you need something done, Tom... Like with web development or something like that, especially like some like base program level stuff and some things like that. I'm not going to say he'll always say yes, but he does do side work and he hangs out a lot in our Telegram. Just saying. All right, so basically Tom said, do you think that maybe the woke company blowback, the boycotts, you know, Bud Light, all of this shit, um, is actually just running cover for how shitty the economy is getting? And with inflation and all, people are retracting spending, whether it has anything to do with, with Target putting out a tuckum for kids in the kids' section and it's saying it's not for kids or not. Like, is it really just like, let's blame the ultra MAGA racist extremists, you know, super extremists, racist MAGA, uh, white supremacist, uh, domestic terrorists, whatever the hell we're calling them today? Sort of. I think the truth in this case, and I, I hate when people always default to somewhere in the middle, because I, don't, I think that's a fallacy in itself, but sometimes it is somewhere in the middle, and I think we are defaulting to somewhere in the middle here. And so let me explain what I mean by this. I read a piece written by a leftist, clearly from leftist bias, uh, explaining how it wasn't that you know, you're not an ultra-mega-extremist domestic terrorist if you uh, say that children shouldn't have their genitals cut off before they're 12 years old. This person was totally fine with that, but what they wanted to prove was that the boycott of Target was not actually effective. That's what they wanted to prove. And they laid out a case that if you look at Target's stock price and you look at it six months prior, and if you correlate it to a competitor like Walmart that yes, there was an impact of this, but overall the trend of their stock price was in trouble long before you know the Pride Month came and, and this controversy hit. Now, it's really hard to try to say that there wasn't an immediate and severe and lasting impact on Bud Light. Okay? Like, that happened. People are pissed. Like, I had to go to the liquor store last week, and there wasn't a hole where the Bud Light sat on the shelf. It was completely full. And I asked the guy, you sell any anymore? He said, not really. Yeah, he doesn't. And, and, you know, I think Ted Cruz, you know, not to, to hold up a politician of any stripe to be, you know, a, a, a beacon of truth or anything, but tr Ted, Ted Cruz spoke some truth about this. He said that, you know, just saying I'll have a Coors Light instead of a Bud Light is pretty easy. Right? Or one of the other 9,000 brands that InBev owns. And all of, most of the Bud Light sales went to other brands that are owned by InBev, which is the same company, which is actually the one that the stock's issued from. So you haven't accomplished anything, America. But there is an impact. On the brand itself, Bud Light sales are down. It is directly attributable to the nonsense they pulled with Dylan whatever the hell his name is. And yes, it's a him. I'm sorry. 
Um, Target, not as much. And Cruz pointed out that when it comes to things like Target or taking your kids to Disneyland, these are harder boycotts or just abstaining from doing business with uh, things to maintain. That when people need a thing and their Target is right there, and I know they have the thing that I need, and the other store I could buy it from is across town, and I want it now, and the kids are crying, I'm going to go into the store. And I think there's some truth in that as well. And you could say, well, maybe they shouldn't, but people behave the way people behave. And I do think that the overall spending in the United States right now, groceries, consumer goods, and anything that would go into the discretionary category is in decline. And what is, and I talked, man, I talked about this so long ago. 2008, I did a show that was something along the lines of, recovery equals catastrophe or something like that saying that eventually we would have a, a, a false recovery and it would be multi-year that it, this was because you got to remember when I started the show in 08 people were screaming the end is near the end is near this is it we're going to be all like James Wesley Rawls book Patriots the coming collapse within a year from now this is the end and I was like no no but let me tell you something when they do what they'll do, which is what they always do, they cut interest rates and they pump money in the system. That We are in a place with so much dry tinder right now, it will cause an accelerated recovery that will look wonderful while it's happening, but it's going to, it's going to be the thing that truly destroys everything. That doesn't mean the end is nigh. That means that we're entering a new phase of reality when it comes to the fiat monetary system, and it is not one that we can ever recover from. There will be some form of rebasing of the currency, which I've also been forecasting since 2009, if not 2008, that will have to happen at some point. It could be 10 years from now. It could be 5 years from now. It could be 15 years from now. And it could be next year. You just don't know when it's going to hit the critical mass where they accept it, and then they have to do it. And we're seeing the results of that now. When things are more expensive, people buy less stuff. And But this is the reason I went off on that sideline. You For a short time... We'll see the inflation and the pain, but you won't see the decline in gross revenue from the major brands. Why? Because they're going to sell less of a thing, but they're, they're selling each unit for more gross dollars. Average revenue per user, ARPU, right? Or average revenue per unit. It can mean either one. So I'm selling less tank tops, but I'm selling them for $3 more. I'm not making more money, but my gross sales look good. And investors look at gross sales first and profit second, because we're stupid. So it's, it forestalls the obvious decline of companies in their profitability. Because it hides it for a quarter or three, and then it becomes evident, and then everybody panics. And when everybody starts panicking, gee, we have to blame somebody other than ourselves. So... Target's the one that decided to put out Tuckum freaking swimsuits for boys to hide their balls when they're freaking eight years old. But then it's not their fault that they got impacted by it. It's your fault because you're racist. Do you understand that? Because you don't think that we should be teaching young children to change their sex and tuck their nuts into a sack under their ass... We're racist. Now, I don't know how you go from, I don't want children talked to about sexuality like this and manipulated this way at a time when their minds are easily swayed 
and make lasting decisions that they can't change their mind about later. Right? I don't know how you link that to racism, but God knows everything's racist in our society today. Everything's racist, everything's ultra-manga, everything's domestic terrorism. It's gotten to where these words mean nothing. It's got, so I do think it's both. I think we have an overall softening of the economic situation in the country. By God, we're $32 trillion in debt. And if you don't think that by the end of the next presidential term, we will be $40 trillion plus dollars in debt. I don't care if the orange man serves as president from Rikers Island. I don't care if Biden, Brandon, stays in, in office. I don't care if Ron DeSantis becomes president. I don't care if the whole damn thing, what was that designated survivor, right, where they wiped out, there was this, Keith Sutherland was in it. It ran like four seasons. The first three were pretty good. Then Netflix picked it up and took it woke and destroyed it again, right? But the concept was he was like Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. And there was a State of the Union address, okay? And these terrorists pulled off a major coup. They set off this explosion at the Capitol while the State of the Union was going. And as the sole surviving member of the presidential administration, Kiefer Sutherland becomes president from being this obscure cabinet position to president of what's left. There is no Congress. There is no Senate. There was like one Congress clown that survived, a chick, and then they had to rebuild everything. And so it was completely new government formed. If that happened, we're still over $40 trillion in debt. If Ron Paul cloned himself and took over half the Senate and half the Congress because of the system in place, we'll still be over $40 trillion in debt. This is now a thing. There are things that you could prevent, but when you go to a certain place, you hit a certain tipping point, it's too late. Nothing you do can intervene and prevent it. You might be able to... Let's look at it as a medical problem. Let's say a person has... And we won't even define the illness, It does because it doesn't matter. But they have a lifestyle illness, their diet, their lack of exercise, a substance abuse problem, whatever it is, has damaged their body to a certain point. And maybe they don't even look that bad yet, but when a doctor looks at them, they're like, yeah, you're fucked. Okay? Just to be blunt. Like, there's nothing we can do. All we can do at this point, you know, if we'd caught it earlier, if you'd changed your lifestyle earlier, we could have done a thing. But now we can't. Now you have six months, a year, a year and a half, whatever it is to live. That's all you got. And there's nothing to be done. All we can do now is treat your symptoms and give you palliative care and make you as comfortable as possible until the final day comes. And the final day, no matter what we do, is probably going to suck. That's the United States economy. The things that have been done, the way that it's been run, how it's been set up, the changes made in 1913, 1933, and specifically 1971 at that point, made it inevitable that we would be at this point. And even between 71 and now, there were a lot of things that could have lengthened the lifespan of this economy, some modicum of control. But it was too late in 70. That was the last thing. That was the drug addict that says, tomorrow, man, I get clean, pops one more pill and kills himself. But economies have much longer lifespans than individual humans. Uh, there's somebody in our family who had a problem, didn't take care of himself, and ended up dead. It took 20 years for that person to become deceased. At the very, 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 very end, he tried. 
it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And there was very little that could be done to extend life expectancy at that point. Okay? That's your economy. So yes, the wokeism bullshit that it's all the rights fault that target stock is in the shitter is true and false at the same time. The total number down is directly attributable to the wokeism and the blowback which will be much shorter term than it will be for Bud Light because Cruz is right about this, okay? But it is part of the down. But more of the down, especially this is, like when you look at the stock price of Target from January 1 to December 31, 2023, there will be a significant more effect if there's a negative between the two dates from the overall economy than it will be from Trump supporters being pissed off and not buying their stuff at Target. Because we all know they're smelly Walmart shoppers anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what I mean by that and you took offense to it, you're being offended with the wrong person. Google it. You can find out who said it if you've been under a rock and weren't paying attention when that happened. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up today. I want to remind you guys again, always consider doing business with our sponsors. It's not a sponsor segment. We already had that, but just please do. We have companies that have been with us almost since the beginning. I took the company, I took the show commercial uh, one year into it, and then I went full-time six months later. And so that means that I started taking sponsors in, um, it was actually a year and a half into it, honestly, now that I think about it. I started taking sponsors around February of uh, 2009. And I have some sponsors that I brought on board in February and March of 2009 that I still have today. So what, 13, 13 and a half years? 14 years? This is a long time to sponsor a podcast. Please just consider that when you're thinking about who to do business with. And also, if you're an MSB member, I hear from people all the time, Jack, I joined the MSB. I don't really care about the discounts. I want to support your show. It's cheap. It comes out to 20 cents an episode. Uh, I don't even worry. No, please use the discounts. That way, the, 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 the supporting vendors actually value the program more, and they stick around. And then I'm giving back to you, and you're giving to them, and they're a form of sponsor, too. So always when you need something, go, if you're an MSB member, go check who's there. You know. Uh, with that, also want to remind you one of the ways you can support us, not just being a member, is also to uh, do your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. My favorite Bluetooth earbuds are on sale today uh, for 30% off, and they're already a value at full price. They're the Anchor Soundcore Life P2 True Wireless Earbuds in black, because you guys walking around with them in white look like a scene from something about Mary, and you need to stop it because it looks gross, okay? I'm sorry, it does. Some of you know what that means, and some of you are like, something about Mary? Yeah, it was a movie. It was a really good movie. Cameron Diaz was in it, you know? It was awesome. Anyway, go Franks and Beans, right? Anyway, like these these earbuds, not only do they look great, they work great. In my opinion, the sound quality compared to something like AirPods is just as good. The voice quality, talking to someone, you use them as, you know, tether to your phone to, to talk to somebody just as good, if not better. 30 bucks versus 150 bucks. I mean, what more do you need? The thing I love about Anchor is, one, their Bluetooth shit just works. We've all had Bluetooth devices, and it doesn't want to attach, and whatever. Whenever that happens to me, I, I always know what happened. And it's like I had it 
attached to my laptop because I was watching something on the couch and I didn't want to disturb my wife. And that was the last device it was connected to. So when I pulled it out of the case, it connected to the laptop. That's the only time there's ever an issue. I just disconnect it and reconnect it to my phone or whatever I want to do. Um, it just works. And it always works. The next thing is electronics, especially in a value brand electronics, which Anchor is. When you sell literally millions of devices a year, some of them will have problems. Some postman will kick a box. Sometimes there's just one that gets out of the fact. Anchor is this way. You tell them, I ordered this from you. And it's broken. And they just send you a new one. Now, if it's three years later, that's a different thing. I'm saying if it arrives and there's a problem, they just fix it. They don't even ask any questions. And I have sold thousands of not just these, right? Because maybe I've sold a couple thousand of these, right? I've sold in the tens of thousands of Anchor stuff over the last six years. I have never had a complaint. I've had some emails, hey, you're right, I bought a thing from them and it was jacked up and they just replaced it. No questions asked. I even had one guy email me, he said, I, I contacted them, there was a problem with it, but it still worked. I let them know and they just sent me another one to keep it. So I basically have two and the one that's got a little bit of an issue, I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, it, was some, it was one of the battery packs and it was that when you moved it, if you, if you didn't keep it still, the, there was something loose with the USB thing and it would, the cord would pull out. And they sent him another one. He's like, I, I still use that one. So that just tells you how great. And that's why they're my favorite value electronics brand. Anchor. A-N-K-E-R. Uh, check out the P2 True Wireless Earbuds. And uh, always check out the deals that Anchor has. Because they, they bring deals around all the time. Unlike Black and Yellow DeWalt, who had a great deal uh, earlier. Uh, was it last week or this week? They, it, was, it was last week. They had a great deal on the jigsaw. Uh, the 20-volt jigsaw. And I told you... It didn't last long, and the next day it went from like 90 bucks to 140 bucks. So if you want to make sure, because maybe you don't listen to TSP every day as it comes out, that when I find deals like this, that you never miss out. There's, there's two primary things that you can do. All the social media and all is fine, but because of the way Telegram works, if you leave the alerts on for the Survival Podcast Telegram channel... Everything I put out, as soon as I put it out, goes on Telegram. So that would be one. The other way would be get on the Daily Mail. Every day, right when I finish the show, like I'm just about to do, I take everything that happened that day, I send one text-based, no graphics, no bullshit, no tracking, nothing, just one text-based email. It'll be three to six bullet points, each with a link, and I'll tell you. I think you should get on the Daily Mail, but I'll tell you why it makes a lot of sense if you've not done it yet to get Telegram and get on the Telegram channel. Now, we have a Telegram group. This is where everybody in the community talks to each other all the time, and some people like that and some people don't. If you're on the group, you'll get the alerts from the channel, but I think you should get on the channel anyway. The channel is nothing but from me. It'll go off four or five times a day. If you get tired of it, you can mute it, right, or you can unsubscribe, whatever. It's like giving me the ability to text message you without having to tolerate me knowing your number. And the reason I suggest you do that if you're concerned about getting good deals on things, a lot of times I will come to be aware of a deal. I will put that deal out. The TSP effect will hit. They will either sell out or a lot of vendors will run a deal or a sale up to a quantity. Let's say 200. Maybe I kick in 70 sales. The other 130 come from organic somewhere else. The sale goes away. The daily mail goes out. The sale's already gone. They've jacked up the price. And I've seen vendors do stuff like this on Amazon. They put something on sale, let's say, for 90 bucks. 
that only sells for $160. They sell a certain amount that goes to $100. They sell a certain amount that goes to $120. They sell a certain amount that goes to $125. And they start raising the price back up to par as they scale through. If you want the earliest information that I have about a deal on something in the T-SPAS catalog or just a deal that comes up, get on the Telegram channel. And there's other things that you'll learn on there that you might not learn anywhere else. With that, I hope you have a great, and I mean a great, fantastic, productive, get-shit-done weekend. I'm about to wrap up a little early on a Friday, and my wife and I are taking our grandchildren to Pinstripes, which is where we'll have the 20-year anniversary party. We're just going to go have a couple drinks and some snacks and bowl with the kids. With that, I again hope you have a great weekend. I will catch you on Monday with another episode. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month. 